Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This article was first published on July 22nd of 2012, under the headline, Busting Out of the Joint was a job for a safe cracker a hundred years ago. Here we go. Escapes from Oregon state prisons are very rare events today and have been for years. But there was a time, not that long ago, when an average of one prisoner every month made a break for freedom and one or two of them actually succeeded in staying gone for a good long time. The criminal population in Oregon's prisons has changed in several ways in the past hundred years, and one of the most noticeable ways is the type of criminal housed there. In 1912, there were a lot more of a particular sort of criminal professional who specialized in breaking into vaults, safecrackers, or in the terminology of the time, yeggs. Possibly because they made a living solving puzzles of this sort, yeggs seemed to make up a disproportionately high percentage of escapees. One such professional was Charles Drocker, who was sent up the river in May 1915 to serve a 10-year term for burglary. After he'd served a year of his sentence, Drocker vanished one morning. He was there at breakfast. At the noon count, he was gone. Prison officials searched for him for two days and found not a sign. Meanwhile, among the inmates, the rumor grew that Drocker had crawled under a truck and pulled himself up into its chassis someplace, riding out through the front gates of the prison under the very noses of a half-dozen armed guards before dropping to the ground and slipping away. And perhaps that is what he did, but to this day, nobody knows for sure. Nothing was heard until the following year, when the word came back to the Beaver State that the intrepid Mr. Drocker was now a war hero. He had snuck out of the country and joined the military in France perhaps the French Foreign Legion, in the middle of World War I. One assumes that a grateful French nation made him a citizen and that all that unpleasantness in Oregon was put behind him. On the other hand, it's also possible that Charlie went back to his old profession in his new country or that, patched up and sent back to the front lines, he fell before a German Mauser like so many of his compatriots of both France and the U.S. In any case, as far as I've been able to learn, nothing more was heard from him. Another yegg who proved hard to hang on to was Frank Wagner, whose first of two escapes offers a surprising echo of the Stephen King novella and later movie The Shawshank Redemption. Wagner was a member of the safe-cracking elite, possibly the most skilled yegg on the West Coast. His nickname was Three Minute Wagner, and the moniker referred to his ability to get into any vault in under 180 seconds. Getting out of the big vault took a little longer than that but Wagner figured out how to get the job done. In the summer of 1914, he and his cellmate, a fellow German named Karl Weinigal, discovered that the thick brick walls of which their cell block was built were not as impenetrable as they seemed. The mortar was soft and crumbly. So the two of them got to work on it. They bored a man-sized tunnel into the wall and down through the floor. This was the wall between their cell and the prison hallway, so it had to be a rather tight fit. When they were done with it, there was only one row of bricks between their hole and the hall. 
but it was big enough for them to slip through. During the months of work on this project, the two crooks disposed of the extra bricks and mortar by hiding them in their pockets and in their cell bucket or chamber pot. In 1914, the cells did not have toilets in them. They hid their work in progress by setting up their cell with dozens of pennants and fancy doilies and other wall decorations and keeping it as neat as a pin. During cell inspection, nobody thought to check behind that one big girly doily that hung on the wall near the cell door. If the guards had, they would have discovered that, like Andy Dufresne's poster of Rita Hayworth, it was hiding a very interesting secret. On their big night, Wagner and Vinegal pushed through the last layer of bricks and burst through into the prison basement. Unfortunately, they were not able to do this under controlled conditions. The first of them fell through space and lit on the concrete basement floor, hitting his head hard enough to be knocked unconscious for some time. The other managed to land on his feet, but twisted one leg badly enough that walking was extremely painful. But there was no turning back now. That hole in the ceiling they'd come out of was accessible only to birds and bats. Onward and outward, the two cons hobbled, hoping for the best. The two of them got most of the way off the prison grounds before a dog started barking, attracting the attention of one of the guards who opened fire on them from a great distance. This had the chief effect of inspiring the two of them to hobble away at superhuman speed. They remained at large for two days before being recaptured. Wagner served the rest of his sentence without incident, but as soon as he was released, he got right back to work, and six months later, he was back in prison. This time, he simply slipped away from a guard while working in the prison yard. He was found three months later in a cabin in Clatsop County, ratted out, prisoner number 6435 hints in his book, by the woman he was living with there. When the posse tried to retrieve him, a firefight broke out and Wagner was killed. There are several more interesting stories of jailbreaks and jailbreakers from this era, but they'll have to wait for a future article. The source for this article was a small book titled Sensational Prison Escapes from the Oregon State Penitentiary by an author identifying himself as prisoner number 6435. No publisher is listed. It was published in 1922. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatorgan.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye.